Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Andre, and this is a Tennis and Bagels podcast. A podcast about pretty much everything tennis from recreational to professional tour and essentially a lot of my opinion as well because well um, there's a lot of tennis journalists out there and really awesome podcasts that you can listen to you don't I don't necessarily need to be bringing tons of news but in fact today is a day that I actually want to touch upon a couple news um, things that have happened in the tennis world as of lately and uh, the thing is, um, with all the crises, with the, the coronavirus and quarantining and even borders closing and all of that, um, we obviously didn't have any tennis being played since Indian Wells, where I recorded episode number 6.5, um, and that was like breaking news, everything is canceling, um, we don't have tennis, and at that point we were just trying to be hopeful about, about it and just be like, oh yeah, maybe in April... Or June, it will come back. And nope, of course you wouldn't, because um, this is a pandemic and this is a much more serious um, thing than um, we would have hoped it to be. But honestly, safety first and health health first. So um, all things considered, obviously, we are really happy that there was no tennis, no big events, and no major issues with that. Uh, and speaking of major issues with uh, big crowds and things like that, before I just start talking about like the the comeback talks about tennis and how serious those plans are at this point, um, a few things happened this this week, and um, I think they are worth talking about because um, it's not like no tennis at all was happening, no professional player was actually touching a racket and playing against each other. Uh, a couple things happened um, in the meantime, and some exhibition tournaments and. Um, Two of them were really um, um, like anticipated and brought a lot of attention to them. The first one being Djokovic's, I think it's Adria Tour. And um, this was a major con- controversial tournament that happened in, in Serbia for the few reasons. Um, the one that is the most uh, important to consider is the fact that he made the tournament and they played with full crowds like the stadiums that they were playing in i think they were probably would be housing about um 2000 to maybe 5000 people which is a lot of people together sitting side by side um, nobody was wearing masks and they were just kind of the players were hugging each other they uh, you'd see videos of them coming in the airport and just kind of like hugging and touching essentially no social distancing at all in that tournament 
and things went really well. Uh, people had a lot of fun. Players had a lot of fun. Djokovic didn't win. I don't actually remember who did. Uh, maybe it was team. Um, but um, yeah, so full stadium. They had a kids day. They had a, a press tent. The, the first thing that they did was like having a soccer match uh, with a bunch of players and stuff like that. And a, f a few things that are important to mention is that Serbia's case is not nearly as worse as as bad as uh, some places in Europe were or some places in in America um are right now and and when i say america i mean north and south america so um things in serbia aren't as um as awful uh, things aren't looking as bad in there but at the same time it's just kind of like it it's still in in a pandemic and there's still like uh concerns about health and stuff like that right obviously but All of that happened, and a lot of players were, and journalists were journalists were very uh, critical about that attitude about the tournament because of that. And um, one of the reasons also why is because Djokovic was very much against the comeback of the tour um, in the U.S. Open, really, most specifically the U.S. Open, the Grand Slam that happens in the end of the year. Well, in the end of the year, the last Grand Slam of the year, which happens um, at the end of August and beginning of September, um, because he was saying about... Um, I don't think he actually mentioned health concerns, but he was saying that the um, the measures that they were taking, the safety measures that uh, the U.S. Open personnel were taking were quite extreme for him and people are critical about him because well how come you you talk about extreme um, measures uh, in in the US and then you come and like you say that you're not you're not even coming to the US to play the US Open but then you you host a tour with, of this magnitude with this many people with no social distancing at all and um, some people are really mad and it's it's controversial in that sense I, I kind of get it because Serbia has really got the situation under control. Um, but one of the things that happened, it was um, quite um, intense. I would say like it wasn't very, it wasn't very nice. Let's put it that way. Um, so Djokovic was in contact with a basketball player in Serbia who tested positive for the COVID-19. And uh, part of the tour, one of the legs in Montenegro was canceled. And obviously tons of history between Serbia and Montenegro. Um, but I don't know, politically, health, health safety stuff. Uh, this, this encounter that Djokovic had with a player that later on tested positive um, was very negative and caused that Montenegro leg of the, the Adria tour being canceled. Um, so, so that's that. Um, Djokovic has had his share of uh, controversies already during this quarantine times. Um, normally his controversies are normally about, uh, how people say that he's fake or he, um, he just wants attention and whatnot, but now he's gotten into a few more, um, scientific and health issues, um, cons well, health, uh, what's the word? Like health related problems and controversies. So yeah, this has not really been a great year for Djokovic's, um, personal brand, I would say. But yeah, um, and the other tournament, which I'm not going to spend much time talking, it's, and by the way, I haven't really watched anything because um, I find it was really hard to find um, streaming for any of those exhibition matches that they, that they were putting up. 
I think it's just on most of them are is on tennis TV and WTA TV, the app, but and maybe I don't know ESPN or whatever. But I don't have cable, and I, um, well, I wasn't really. I'm not really paying for tennis TV right now, so that's a thing. So I didn't really watch anything. And the other tournament that was interesting was the UTS, which I completely forgot was it's Ultimate Tennis something. <laughs> I know it fits in it, but it's not something. I, I don't know what the S stands for at this point. But it was uh, a exhibition tournament put in place by Patrick Muratoglu, um, Serena Williams coach, and in the owner of one of the biggest um, tennis academies in the world. Um, and in this tennis academy, he's a bunch of a bunch of big big players are practicing there uh regularly like um Felix Ogiel-Yassim and Titi Pazli practice there and obviously Murata Glue is the coach of Serena Williams like so the guy has a lot of presence in the tennis world and he puts up this tournament which um that was it was just it it was just insane like the he was first like I guess to put in some context before I explain what was crazy about it and Honestly, in my opinion, I think it's, it's good, crazy, because especially because it was an exhibition. But Patrick Muratoglu says that tennis is loose. But for tennis, it's not really the case. You just kind of go and you serve and that's it. And um, stalling, it, it, it's it's a little bit subjective. It's it's way too subjective, I would say, in tennis. Like, there is a, a few things that you can do, like in terms of you have 25 seconds to serve, to put the ball in play. And maybe that that's kind of like the rule that they might have used for it and whatnot. Um, but it, it was just it was just a little weird. And um, one other thing that really bothered me a lot is that like you could obviously, if you have to win by a certain number of quarters, you must have figured that if I'm not making a sum of uh, if I'm not adding up all of the points that I won in all of the quarters, that could be a tie. So I could be. Um, uh, two to all, like against my opponent at the at the end of uh, the fourth quarter, and instead of up, uh, approaching that and like naming it differently, it just go like oh overtime or something like that. They just ended up calling it a fifth quarter, and that doesn't make any sense. Like if it's a quarter, it's not a fifth. It's it's four quarters makes one whole. So I don't know. Make it call it a tiebreaker. Don't just ditch everything every single um. Uh, nomenclature from the, the score lines from uh, traditional tennis. It's it's fair enough to call it a tiebreaker, especially because it's kind of like a a, a subtle, um, not subtle, but like a sudden death uh, format in in the sense like I, I feel like if you I think it's the point is if you reach two if you win by two points if 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 at some point you're winning by two points you win the match. So that's kind of like how we work. And. A lot of a lot of fans really hated it. At least on Twitter, everybody was just bashing on it, like it was the worst thing that could have ever ever happened to tennis. And honestly, I don't think it's bad. Like, I mean, it's it's a it's an experiment. We've been having talks about how to change a little bit, bring some change to the the to the score system in tennis, so matches wouldn't last for six hours or seven. Um, and tiebreakers were instituted for a reason so now there is a tiebreaker at Wimbledon as well at, at 12 all I don't think that there is a tiebreaker in Roland Garros yet but who cares because Nadal never really goes to a tiebreaker in the fifth anyways 
Um, so yeah, and I think all of the Grand Slams except for uh, Rolling Arrows now have a have a tiebreaker in the fifth. So all in all, I do think it's a good idea to try and do things differently, and it's an it's a great opportunity because there's no professional tennis, there's no actual um, tennis tournaments that are being played. Um, so they actually got to have professional players like the stars. They had Titipas, Gasquet, uh, Matteo Berrettini playing. I don't know who else was playing. I can't remember. Um, but I think it's it's a great time. And people really were hating on it. And they were just kind of like, oh, yeah, tennis is perfect the way it is. And no, no, no. And I'm just like, I mean, I I do love tennis the way it is. I think it makes up for like a very interesting scoreline. But I do have a point in terms of it's a little bit difficult to understand. Um, and it can go really, really long and can be a really slow pace game at some points. So I'm all for experimenting. And it, it's an exhibition, so do it there. I feel like it, it has to be done um, strategically, not just kind of like out of the blue. And now that all of those exhibitions are out of the way, and for a lot of us are just like, thank God, I, I can I can even wait. I can't I can't stand any more exhibitions happening. I I just don't care about them anymore. It's kind of like I I want to see some actual. Um, tennis being played something that is worth something you know just an exhibition isn't really worth anything it's just kind of like entertainment so in sports there's this the stake of like the the records and uh the tournaments that have uh points in the rankings and the titles are worth something if you're playing like at the uts or the adria tour it's not going to come back next year it's not going to happen again so it doesn't nobody really cares like who is going to remember the champion of this tournament i don't even remember who is it now so I want to watch the U.S. Open. And I want to watch the Rolling Arrows and I watch Wimbledon. And I, want to, I want to watch all of the Masters 1000s and um, WTA Premier Mandatories because that's what we want for tennis. It's kind of like if you're watching the Super, um, the this not the CFL, but like the NFL or the NHL. It's you don't just kind of like want at the end. Oh yeah, just we just want to play a number of games and that's it. Like we want to see who goes to the playoffs and wins the Stanley Cup. Or the Super Bowl. This is this is what is important. This is why this is awesome to watch. So, and there we come to the point where uh, tennis seems to be going to restart in August thirty first, and that means obviously Wimbledon has already been canceled for a while. And but we also gonna miss the Rogers Cup. They announced it today or yesterday. I think it was today. That um the today being Wednesday June seventeenth as uh, as per the data the date I am recording so for you it would be um Thursday June eighteenth or Friday June nineteenth uh it depends on my moods on editing this thing but uh, I'm really hoping you're listening to this on Thursday the eighteenth or at least that it comes out on Thursday the eighteenth but. I'm not talking about dates and calendars here. Well, I will be talking about calendars, but more specifically about tennis. But in any case, uh, Rogers Cup is not happening in Toronto or in Montreal. In Mo the Montreal one was already canceled because of a uh, Quebec ruling. The government um, ruled out every single big tournament, not tournament, but like every big event until at least August 31st. So that was already a thing that was out of question. But Toronto was, was still... Um, in the 
plans. Like it was still on the table. It could still have happened, but it, it's not gonna happen. So that's a little sad. Uh, no Canadian Open this year. But honestly, hope this is this is for the best, and that we can stay all healthy, and that we can avoid at all costs the second wave of the of the COVID nineteen. But the U.S. Open is probably going to happen, and this is also very controversial, as I've mentioned. Djokovic had a, his share of uh, doubts about it, and not only he has them, but a bunch of other top players um, are not necessarily um, very keen on going to New York and playing, and New York is actually one of the biggest epicenters of the um, the crisis, the pandemic in the U.S., so it's all the more a little... It's all the more um, concerning that this is going on. So they have put up a bunch of, uh, like several, several rules, um, for which, uh, I'm going to read in here for a little bit, I believe. Let's see. Let's see if I can find them here. Okay, here you go. This is from ESPN. Um, the article is called U.S. Open Plans, Plan N Works, Including Group Flights, COVID-19 Tests. This came out in May 30th. So they actually had already this, like a, a bunch of this already planned, but um, they confirmed just yesterday or today that um, tennis, uh, the US Open is actually taking place. But this is what is probably going to happen. They haven't already clarified at all exactly all of their measures, but um, testing, they will be, um, for as according to SPN, they say, before traveling to New York, players would need proof of negative COVID-19 tests. Once they came into once in the once they came into our let's say U.S. Open world, Alistair said. Alistair is the I think the USTA president. Um, there will be a combination of daily health questionnaires, daily temperature checks, and some nasal saliva antibody testing. Uh, charters: Paris, Vienna, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Buenos Aires, and Dubai are among the cities where players could catch a flight to John F. Kennedy International Airport on an airline that is a tournament partner. Afterward, player, afterward, players might be taken to where they play next. Tournament sites in late September could include Paris, Madrid, or Rome. Entourage. A player coming with an entourage of 5, 6, 7, 8 is not something that's in the plan, Alistair said. One possibility, tournaments could provide physiotherapists and masseuses to players, so players don't bring their own. Officiating matches could use fewer line judges than usual, with more reliance on online on with more reliance reliance on line calling technology. It's a hard one, as I said. Obviously you want to ensure that we have the highest level of integrity and the ball people are going to be all adults, no kids. And in terms of the officiating, I feel like this is a great opportunity to try and get Hawkeye to work all the time. This is going to be well, it's gonna take away a little bit of the uh just the tension of the match is going to be less uh, intense when people, when players decide to, when to challenge or when not to challenge. But at the same time, it's definitely going to guarantee that um, the match is going to go um, more safely. Not safely, but like a more, um, with more integrity, more honesty, uh, with actual good calls being made 100% of the time. But it also, uh, Hawkeye is not necessarily 100% uh, foolproof, but it's probably better than just tons of lions people as per we know because challenges are used all the time now um they also plan on having reduced draws and doubles uh no mixed no mixed doubles and no juniors 
and the draws and doubles would be um, down to 32 teams instead of the regular 64. Um, they would also they would also have no fans and players wouldn't be able to go to Manhattan. They they essentially what they would do is that they would go straight from um, the hotel to the the match and to the match from the match to the hotel. They would have no access to the locker room. They would have access to the site to practice, but no access to the locker room. They and it's just kind of like keeping um, kind of like access on site to a minimum. And yeah, there's no no fans are going to be allowed on site, and that's probably the weirdest thing. Like, I mean, Djokovic mentioned a bit about um, how he didn't want to have, because he says, "Oh yeah, like I want to come in with like all of the six people that are with me and whatever, like all of my team and whatnot." But some players are really kind of like saying, "Come on, man! Like, we need we need to play." There's a lot of a uh, low. Um, like low-ranked players who don't even have that many people, they barely even have a coach, and so it is kind of like not a concern that is shared with uh, the vast majority of players on tour. So, and by the way, uh, this is this is what um, um, Daniel Dan Evans uh, from uh, from the UK said about this this issue. From the article, Dan Evans says Novak Djokovic concerns over U.S. Open restrictions only valid for top players. This is from BBC. Um, it's great what the ATP did with the relief fund, but there is nothing better than the prize money of the Grand Slams for the players to be receiving. This is the point where I think players should really come together and Novak and Rafa should be really looking to help those players with lower ranks uh, so they get a good payday. It's obviously not a lot about money is health involved, in, involved here, but it's safe enough that I don't think just having I don't think having just a coach is good enough is good enough reason not to be going to a tournament. Um, so this is kind of like they kind of pushing for the big players to um, actually go and play in the U.S. Open because Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic have already expressed their um, their issues and they're likely not going to the U.S. Open this year, which is going to make the draw far more open this time and um but serena williams is playing so that's a good thing um maybe she's going to be able to break uh margaret court's um i think i'm not sure if she's tying or breaking it i think she's yeah she'd be tying margaret court's record of 24 us open uh, not us open but grand slams in general um other players who are not going are probably barty um ashley barty uh wta number one and um simona halep uh, WTA world number two so yeah essentially the top men and women are not coming for the top two rankings and yeah we're gonna have to see how it goes but one of the things for me it's at this point we've just been waiting for so long for tournaments to happen that any news that is going to happen just kind of like makes us kind of like excited to at least see what's going to happen like how is this going to turn out and so uh, this is going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity to see things like that but yeah and the other tournament that is having uh, its share of controversies since um i guess may has been rolling arrows and man they've they've messed up a few times this year already they've been they said that they were going to hold their tournament um 
and a date that was that was going to overlap with Shanghai or whatever, and they just kind of like did this did this unilaterally. So it's not really the point of rescheduling the tournament that's bad. The point of the point that I was bad about Roland Garros was that they just kind of did it without taking anybody into account. They just didn't ask anybody for permission or what did they think or an opinion or suggestion, any or even an advice or just kind of like. Hey man, like just text, text texting on WhatsApp, like yo, what do you think about us doing this? No, they just kind of like went out online and just be like, hey, um, because of COVID nineteen measures, France sucks for now. Um, we're just gonna hold it in September, okay? Shanghai, screw you, type of thing. So everybody was really mad and with reason because it's not just because they're a Grand Slam and they're a very uh, prestige, prestigious tournament that can just go around and make decisions like nobody else existed. There's a lot of things involved and a lot of money and there's a lot of um, planning that goes into that too. Players have to plan where they go to. It's not like they can just be everywhere at the same time. And flights also cost money and it's not all of the players that are actually that actually have access to um, so much wealth such as Novak Djokovic and essentially the entire top 10 really. So yeah, it's it's something that you has to has to be done um with the cooperation and collaboration of the ITF and ATP and the WTA and everybody else involved and all the other Grand Slams as well. So yeah, but Roland Garros apparently, uh I did not uh confirm this source. It's called it's from a website called Essentially Essentially Sports or Essentially Tennis. Let me check. Yeah, it's called Essentially Sports. So Apparently, the French Open is going to be held with a reduced draw of 96 players for both men and women. And uh, they're also going to have reduced doubles and obviously also no mixed and no juniors. But one of the things that is most interesting about um, Roland Garros this year is that um, as opposed to the US Open, which is going to be held about just about at the same time of the year, the Roland Garros is going to be held um, significantly later in the, in the year. And... Uh, there is a few things that going to um what's it called um that going to play when this happens uh as we know like in the northern countries um temperatures change and climate is not as constant like for example where i come from brazil you could be almost safe that you'd be able to you wouldn't make that much of a difference it will make a difference but honestly for tennis players uh changing from summer to fall it's a world of a difference honestly like they can feel the bounce they can feel the speed of the ball and the minimum of a de- a de- the slightest detail something that like an like a regular human being like a regular recreational player would barely feel or just kind of like oh yeah i just can deal with that like for players it can mean it can cost them the tournament really it could cost the tournament to nadal to play in um, in a different time of the year and some are even saying that it could even favor people like Isner or um, big servers, big, big attacking players. You wouldn't necessarily be very um, clay court specialist would struggle with that because the temperatures have normally been been very um, favorable for those people in that sense because like it's a slow court and the playing in slow conditions obviously helps them and just kind of like take into. Um, for example, Madrid, which is uh, played in, um, it's a little higher uh, up in the sense that um, 
it's a it's a much higher above sea level than other tournaments and the conditions there tend to be a little bit faster hence why nadal this is the clay court and nadal has won the least amount of times um as opposed to monte carlo for example which is right by the sea so conditions are much slower it fits far better his game so some other things that are going to happen is uh the temperature is going to be lower especially in the evening there's probably going to be more rain and the wind's basically not going to change much but the most important um part of the the different date is going to be the difference in the time of sunset and it's almost nitpicky but but it's it's so it's such an impress such a such an important thing um the sunset in Roland Garros in Paris really um in during May June is from 9 it's about 9:43 p.m. um so that's pretty late and those tournaments um I think Roland Garros up until last year it didn't didn't even have any lights so they could go on much later but now it's going to be at 7:41 so it's going to be a considerable difference it's going to be two hours of two hours earlier the sun's going to set and now they do have a roof and they do have lights but it's still going to change the conditions it's still going to change how the ball is 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 visible to players it could favor some players more than others it could mean it could essentially cost the tournament to Nadal and uh, in that regard it could very well go to somebody else uh, so um that's also one of the reasons why i believe Nadal and Djokovic are not going to participate in the US Open because of that i think Djokovic wants another Roland Garros um and i think Nadal wants to defend his title that's fair enough and also another issue that there is with the the US Open is that upon return to their countries to other tournaments a lot of players would have to be quarantined so they would have to be home for 14 days so that could cost a lot of uh, their time and essentially it would just mean that they would play only one um tournament and here's why it's really important right now i think even more than regular than a regular season to plan where you're going to go because at, the atp just released the most absurd calendar i've ever seen for a tennis for a tennis season ever and um yes we're excited and yes we're going to have tons of great tournaments but here's here's what's going to happen First off they're going to start in Washington DC uh with the City Open uh, an ATP 500 tournament and August 22nd they're going to play Cincinnati except it's not going to be in Cincinnati it's going to be at Flushing Meadows So the tournament that would be Cincinnati is going to be held in New York City and the same um the same courts that the US Open uh is going to have is takes place normally and will take place this year as well. And 31st of August if you remember well that's the date that New York the US Open is going to start. That's literally just a week later after the the first Well, the ATP Masters 1000, the first one after the big crisis, the when 
the ATP tour returns. That's by the way, just the ATP. That's not the WTA. I haven't really checked what's the calendar, what's the deal for the WTA. But yeah, um, if if I find something online, online, I will certainly leave it in the description. But WTA is being a little bit um, more conservative, I would say, in terms of um, the tournaments. But I think all of those tournaments are going to be essentially the same for the women as well. So the first thing that we come across here is that you play Cincinnati, you have to commit for the ATP 1000. And if you win, immediately you're thrown into the US Open. So that's already something really uh, strange. It never, I mean, I don't know if it's ever happened before. Probably it must have like at some point, like having a big, big tournament right right before New York. But, and then... Right after New York, we have Madrid in the thir- 13th of September. As you know, uh, Grand Slams take two weeks to finish. Um, and the 20th of September, we have Rome. So that's the entire clay court. The, the, um, two of the three clay courts, uh, Masters and Thousands, in back-to-back weeks, back-to-back from the US Open, like immediately after, um, in succession in Cincinnati, uh, U.S. Open, Madrid, Rome, and immediately after Rome, we have Paris. So this is like, this is kind of this is pretty ridiculous. You you have to, they're gonna have to really um, assess like which tournaments are they going to do, and they're kind of like going for back and forth in terms of like how are they going to deal with the rankings and stuff, and that's actually the most important part because there's no way a player is gonna be able to play all of those tournaments, like one after the other and do well in all of them. There is if a player manages to win Cincinnati, New York, Madrid, Rome, and the Roland Garros, Paris, back to back in a row. And when I say back to back, I mean it. Like it's nonstop five weeks of playing. That's gonna be an achievement for the ages. That is no player will ever be able to accomplish anything similar to that. And it's not just because it's the COVID nineteen situation. There's just no way a player can play um, at the top level in the top tournaments so consistently for five straight weeks. That's just pretty dang ridiculous. Um, so there was even a guy that, that commented on the ATP page where I got the, the, the image from the calendar. Um, he says, So Nadal is defending US Open, French, and Rome championships, and he would have to play all three tournaments in about one month's time frame to defend all titles, especially the two slams. Sounds fair to me. Yeah, Nadal would have to play New York and Paris, at least. That's All of those tournaments are 5,000 points. If he loses all of those points, he drops out of the top five. He's still into the top ten, but he is going to lose a lot of ground in terms of... Uh, the number one ranking from Novak Djokovic. Of course, Djokovic should probably lose a lot of points as well. So if rankings keep the same format up to the end of the year, we might see some really big changes actually in the top 10 because uh, honestly, it's, it's going to be really weird. And all of the no fans thing and um, top three, big three not being able to play. And by the way, Roger Federer isn't playing until... Um, 2021 now because he's had a second arthroscopic surgery on his knee and um, so he's he's out for the 2020 season regardless of what happens 
So no Federer anymore. So no, probably no Novak and no Nadal for um, the U.S. Open, which is going to be extremely, extremely bizarre. Um, and we might even see like a completely new champion from from the U.S. Open this year. And there I say even Roland Garros could see a completely different champion. This year, we could have the beginning of the year, which was, all right, we'd have uh, Novak Djokovic won the Australian Open, and uh, I I don't remember if they played Dubai. I think they did. And <clears throat> But team reached the final, and... I don't know exactly where did Nadal drop out from the US from the Australian Open. I believe it was the quarterfinals. But that's that's kind of like going according to script in a certain way. But then this is just going to completely turn everything upside down. Like we just really have zero clue what's happening at this point. Like tennis is just totally up in the air. Like it's it's a total screw it situation. We have no idea who's gonna win what. There's big chances, obviously, that a top 10 player is going to win those tournaments, but we might see two new Grand Slam champions in, uh, in, the, in, in August and in September. Like, who knows? Um, so we just kind of like wait and see. It's, it's a lot of, um, at this point, it's just a lot of us being, us tennis fans being like, I really want tennis to come back and I really want to watch it. And... The excitement is twofold because, well, tennis is coming back. Yay, that's awesome. But also just kind of like, oh, this is totally new. This is totally different. We're not used to seeing this. We can make predictions. There's this, we are just completely in the dark about what's going to happen at the remainder of the season. This seems to be um, the, I think this, this schedule is going to be like that until the end. I, I don't know if they're going to play um, the Asian swing. There might be a chance that they're just gonna they're just gonna finish right there. The the season just gonna play August September and that's it. And um, I think one of the reasons why they kind of have to rush those is because they're not none of those tournaments are uh, inherently indoor tournaments. I think Madrid no Madrid isn't an indoor tournament either. Um, and it's going to be. Uh, so they, they cannot be playing indoors and uh, it's just not feasible to play it in the end of uh, autumn and uh, of the fall and in the winter. There, there's, there's just no way this is going to happen. So they just kind of have to rush them in. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. To be honest, maybe Roland Garros could have just been postponed and that's it. We just have Australian Open and the US Open this year and that's fine. Um, but... Ugh, man. It's weird. Like, I could just be here kind of, like, talking about, like, what I think might happen in tennis and whatnot. But, uh, man, it's just... It's just a wait-and-see situation. And it feels like it's going to happen next week. But honestly, we're going to have to wait until... until mid-August for the first tournament to come... uh, to, to be played. And... Well, another thing that I'm really um, not concerned, but like I'm really anxious about seeing is who is going to be playing in this tournament. And yeah, the last thing that I wanted to touch upon was um, the no fans situation, because there's a big chance that Roland Garros also is going to be held without fans. 
I know for a fact that Washington, Cincinnati, and uh, the U.S. Open are not gonna, going to accept um, fans, or at least they're going to have very little of a uh, very little number of, of fans uh, enter the stadiums. Um, so that's going to be a little weird. Um, but the the thing for me is that we have to look at this uh, issue from a couple different sides, right? So for for the first side is the the fan side obviously like who is very excited to watch about uh watch a tennis uh tournament or any sports t- um event really on stadium it, it really is a different atmosphere it really changes a lot of things and it's it's just really fun and not having the fans out there just kind of loses loses a little bit of its appeal um, even though you can still watch the match and it's still probably going to be really high level, it's just going to be a totally different experience and really weird and strange. Um, but yeah, and the other, um, the other uh, side of uh, the situation that we have to look into um, is the, the players themselves. As I've mentioned from a quote from Daniel Evans, players have been struggling a lot lately from their um from the lack of revenue from because they can't play so they cannot make money so that really is going to be um not that's that's really not ideal for them and the the top players are they're fine but the lower ranked players they're really kind of like on the brink they're just kind of like what am i going to do how am i going to deal with it so yeah um but Having the tournament being played, even without fans, is good for the sport in general, even if it's less than ideal right now and it's going to be a little strange and it's just not going to feel right. But honestly, we need to get, we, we, we got to get things going. We got to get things moving because they're not just there for fun. They're actually there for a living, a lot of them. And a lot of players are very um, eager to get back on playing their qualifying tournaments and just playing a couple of rounds of the US Open. The, the money that they're, they're going to receive from those matches are, is going to be really important for them. And to be perfectly honest, I am fully in, in, in agreement with that. I completely agree that tennis should be held, even without fans, at least to keep things alive. And, you know, we need to get things going. It's not just about us, the fans. It's because if there's no more, if there's no tennis at this, at the end of this, in 2020 anymore there could be a big chance of uh it's kind of like lots of tennis players just kind of giving up tennis they're just going to hang up their rackets and that's it so um i don't want that to happen i want tennis uh players to have the opportunity to kind of like do what they love and uh, um the tennis community i feel like we need to support this decision to have no fans and even if it's to, to the remainder of 2020 if you have no more fans in any tournament I am totally fine with it. It's we're just gonna watch it on TV, and that's okay. Um, and at the during this this pandemic, I've been reading a lot more, and also because of I've started doing this podcast, I've been trying to get a lot more information than I would normally do. Um, but um, I've been gaining a lot of respect for um, lower ranked players because they really go day in day out, and they really practice hard and 
uh, they play those qualifying tournaments. They they take them really seriously. It's not just because they're not going to become the champions, most likely. Um, that it means <clears throat> that just they just kind of like slacking off, or they're just no good, or that we just shouldn't care about them. Like honestly, we should care about everybody that makes the tennis um, the sport that it is. And I'm honestly really grateful for their for their effort, and I really respect them. And I'm just going to finish this episode on a note that I thought was kind of actually quite hilarious from from uh, the the U.S. Open tournament directors. And so there's no fans. That is my segue. <laughs> um, they're talking in the the the, the higher management of the, of the U.S. Open is like, oh yeah, we're going to have like completely new and exciting experiences for to engage with fans and whatnot like through online and this is what they said like honestly i I feel like this is this is total bs in my opinion i think is they may revamp a bit a bit of their online influence and uh, trying to get some things going but it's it's going to be barely any different like from for people from home it's whatever like they're just gonna watch the, the, the match and i feel like it's not going to make a difference i hope i'm wrong i hope it's actually going to be very new and engaging but i don't think it's going to be innovative at all i think it's just going to be them posting more videos on their youtube agent instagram and whatnot and here's what here's what the tournament director says which by the who by the way is um for the first time a female um the decision to hold the 2020 US Open without fans was not an easy one, but it ultimately it was the correct one. Fair enough. Uh, Stacy Alistair, Chief Executive Professional Tennis USTA and newly named US Open Tournament Director. I said before that she was the, the, the president of the USTA. I was wrong. She is the uh, tournament director. To mitigate risk, we must minimize numbers on site. Though we will not have fans on our site, we will engage with tennis fans around the world in new and exciting ways with the help of our global broadcast partners and all of our US and all our US Open sponsors. And then this is the comment that I honestly I feel like it resumes perfectly the difference between marketing people and just irregular fans. Um, says Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, from New York. We can watch it on TV. Noted New York Governor Andrew Cuomo in a Tuesday press conference. And I'll take that. <laughs> this is essentially it. Like, it's, it doesn't matter, like, the engaging in new ways. Like, it's not going to be innovative enough to cover the fact that there's no, going to be no fans. But his opinion is just sincere. It's like, we can watch it on TV and that's fine. Like, that's, this is literally all that is going to be in the end of the day with the no fans thing. And I just thought it was kind of funny. The huge contrast. And this is... Literally, uh, I didn't skip a line. You can see it in the in the U.S. Open website, uh, 2020 U.S. Open Western Southern Open to be held in New York. That's the name of the article. I'm going to leave a link in the description of this episode and on the Facebook page and, and the Instagram as well. Um, it's literally one paragraph after, after the other. <laughs> so I thought it was incredibly funny, just juxtaposition of that. But in any case, that's all I have for the tennis comeback. I'm 
quite excited. I'm not sure if you can tell by the way I'm speaking and I may have gotten lost a few times uh, in my train of thoughts, but that's just because there's so much to think about. As I said, everything is up in the air and I'm just kind of going crazy because I cannot make any predictions about it. I just have nothing. I just have no expectations uh, because we can't really expect anything. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, make sure that if you liked it, you uh, follow me on Facebook and you follow me on Instagram. It's tennis and bagels for both of them. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter as well, I'm always tweeting um, at and Rollenberg uh, and A-N-D like tennis and bagels and Rollenberg, R-O-L-E-M-B-E-R-G. Um, that's my Twitter for y'all. Um, and yeah, let me know what you guys think about the <laughs> crazy tennis comeback. So there you have it. Have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye. Just a note to add that I kind of forgot to talk. And as I've been browsing through Twitter afterwards and seeing um, people's opinions, by the way, players are very active on Twitter. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. It seems that there is far more controversy in people being very much for the US Open and some people being very much against it. So uh, at this point, I would actually not even rule out a full um, cancellation of the season altogether. I feel like this is still a possibility that is very much on the table. And that's my note for this episode. I still hope you liked it, and I was still very excited, but honestly, I kind of kind of got carried away by my excitement about the season coming back, and there is far more to go rather than that. But honestly, there is still the survival of the companies there, in um there is still yeah the the reven the survival of the companies is still it's 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 something that we must take into consideration as well they're they're having they're, they're having to lay off temporarily some personnel personnel the usta has been has laid off some hundreds of people coaches and whatnot because of that so um you kind of have to weigh some pros and cons, I, I feel like. But there is still the possibility of the full cancellation of the season. So we'll still have to wait and see. Tens is not necessarily back yet. And it might not be. I kind of hope it will. But honestly, there, there are concerns and there are doubts still. But that's it. Um, yep. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.